0: Restoring the Faith, Brother Martin. Uh, I'm on the road, by the way. I'm on the road. I'm at the uh, Our Lady of Consolation Monastery, Florida. I am uh, at the super-secret bunker location with Brother Martin and others here as well. And today we're going to be talking about finding your vocation and understanding whether or not you have a vocation to the religious life. So thanks for getting started. Uh, For those who are watching live, And uh, I apologize for the setup here. This is the best I can do on the road. Um, We're going to take your questions. We're going to have a live Q&A event. In fact, i got to pull up the questions right now so that I can see it. Yes, uh, Eli. Oh, wow. It is in person. We are doing it in person. We're here. (laughs) So um, let's, let's get started. First of all, Brother Martin, it's strange. That we don't have monasteries really in the United States, right? I mean, it, within the within the the scope of history of the church and of Christendom, we have no monasteries.
1: Yeah. Well, they they basically grew out of uh, Saint Anthony of the Desert, uh, hearing the gospel, go sell all your things and uh, get to the poor and come follow me. Uh, him being very inspired by um, by what our Lord said, and literally going out into a cave in Egypt Mm -hmm. um, to to pray. Um, Out of that, uh, St. Augustine uh, took that as an example, uh, formed his rule of life, um, one of the earliest rules in the existence of the church, uh, created a little community for himself, and of course he was, in a sense, pulled out of that in order to become a priest and then after that a bishop. Um, But the rule of life persevered. Um, It's said that St. Benedict had... A copy of the uh, Rule of Saint Augustine in front of him when he wrote his mm-hmm. uh, Rule. Of Saint, the Rule of Saint Augustine is only eight chapters. Rule of Saint Benedict is like fifty plus. Uh, but uh, in the Middle Ages, you, you had Benedictine monasteries everywhere, forming great men. Um, there was a lot of great popes that came from the monastery at Cluny, mm-hmm. um, and they and monasteries helped uh, create Christendom.
0: Um, they're saying it's hard to hear you, brother, so I don't know if there's a way to turn you up or uh, fix your microphone. I assume you guys can hear me, which you don't, you're not, actually not tuning in to hear me, uh, so we're going to fix brother's can you hear me now? audio. Um, so what what you may have heard brother just say is that the rule of St. Augustine predates the rule of St. Benedict by a lot, right? About,
1: about 100 years, 100 or so years.
0: Um, and it's it's much more simple.
1: Yes, then the rule of saint August and uh, then the rule of Saint Benedict, yeah, about only eight chapters, whereas the rule of Saint Benedict is fifty plus
0: interesting, interesting
1: um okay, so
0: I want to get right into it, brother, if you don't mind, um this video should should sort of be viewed as a how to in terms of how to discern your potential vocation to the religious life if you have one. Um, so for the, for the young men, especially who are watching right now, what's your first piece of advice as to whether
1: or not you think you do have a vocation? The first piece of advice I would give was one your, everyone's vocation is to be a saint, is to be holy. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was in college and I was told that I had to discern my vocation, I had to figure out whether I was called to marriage or priesthood, religious, like all the, all this mix, um, Uh, sorry. (laughs) Background noise. Exactly. Um, I I was very confused, and 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 I was nervous. I was overwhelmed. Um, I was I was stressed. Um, and so one day it kind of dawned on me that my real vocation is to become a saint. Is to get to heaven. And so that was the first place I started. Was listen, I have these vices that I have to overcome. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to be free to say yes to God's will, whatever they may be, if I'm attached to certain uh. Ideas of how I see myself or certain sins or or whatever else Um, So that's that's really where I started and that's where I would tell anybody who is discerning their vocation where to start is is with the Gospels Uh, live the Christian life Uh, Be serious about it be intentional about our prayer life Um, Go to bed at a good time Uh, wake up at a certain time uh, on, the, on the dot, get your mm-hmm. prayers done before going to work or going to school, all that kind of stuff, say your daily rosary, go to mass as often as you can.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but this is just building a good Christian life in, in general for whatever your vocation may, may be. Uh, a- after that, um, a vocation is really a, a movement in one's heart to, to give your life for others. Uh, and so I started asking myself, um, why do I feel drawn to a particular way of life? I asked mm-hmm. myself marriage, why do I feel drawn to this life? Religious life, why do I feel uh, drawn to this life? What's good about it? Mm-hmm. Obviously, both, both of them are means to heaven. Both of them get you there. Um, but I started asking myself, what are my reasons for choosing this? And it was, this became very subjective. I know the church teaches objectively the religious state, um, all, all this stuff. Um, but that question has already been answered. I don't need to discern that question. Mm-hmm. My, my question is, what, specifically, what is God asking me to do? What, 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 is, what is his intention for my life? How does he intend to get me to heaven? Do you
0: feel like you had an advantage because you have discovered your vocation early in life? And what would you say to guys, and I'm seeing in the chat right now, who have discovered their vocations later in life or maybe are called later in life? um, Talk about the the time of being, uh, you know, an early 20-year-old man versus a 30-year-old man versus a 40-year-old man and who, in fact, God would call.
1: God calls anybody at all different ages. Um, some monasteries are open to to receiving men who are, are widowers, mm-hmm. um, all that kind of stuff. Um, other men, there, there's some men who, uh, actually there's one that I know that has remained single his whole life, took care of his dying parents, his, his sick and dying parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've since passed, and he's looking now to enter uh, a different monastery. Um, so God calls at any time uh, in our lives. As far as the age concern, I mean, some some monasteries put up a, a, an age limit only because, uh, I mean, at a certain point in life, you you're you're set in your ways more or less. Um, so for those that are a little bit older, I, I would, uh, as well as practicing virtue, uh, practice renouncing certain things uh, that you're used to, uh, whether they be recreational things like uh, watching TV at a, at a certain hour, watching mm-hmm. your favorite show. Uh, maybe start replacing those with with some spiritual reading instead. Or if you're used to taking vacations every weekend with some friends, maybe renounce some of those and, and instead of visit a monastery, go on a retreat, uh, something to start detaching yourself from uh, I want to put it in a negative way a, a bachelor way of life, mm-hmm. uh, but start taking your, uh, yourself little by little away from those things and start doing things that you would uh, in a monastery
0: and and you've described living a more intentional spiritual life where you essentially start living out some of the rule. In your in your home life, you wake at a certain time, you you pray at a certain time, you retire at a certain time. How difficult is that for people to put into practice in the 21st century when you've got your phone vibrating in your yeah. pocket all the time and you've got uh, all the
1: temptations of social media, etc.? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's an act of the will, really. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, turning your phone off if that's an option, or uh, just you know, saying t- ten o'clock, grand silence. Um, I don't look at my phone past ten o'clock unless it's an emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it does take uh, self-discipline because I mean, also in the monastery, you're, you're not really going to have if you're allowed your cell phone or whatever. You're not going to have someone constantly behind your back watching. You know what you're doing. You have to have this self-discipline yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the monastery you're in. Can you explain
0: the difference between you know a monk versus a friar, a r- religious life versus uh, diocesan life, uh, being a brother versus being a priest? Who would be a brother? Who should be a priest? This
1: is a, this is a lot. I, I think it's a of That's it's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. Yeah, right. <laughs> so- I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Start with monks and friars, and okay. just, in a sense. First, first of all, religious life, in and of itself, is a lay movement. It is a lay movement. It was St. Benedict, a layman, who, who went out and started uh, the Order of St. Benedict. It was St. Anthony of the Desert, who was a layman, and went off and, and, and started praying in a monastery. It was St. Augustine, as a layman, who started his own monastery. It was uh, St. Francis of Assisi, a layman, who started the, the Order of uh, Friars Minor. Uh, religious life, monastic life, is a lay movement to which clergy may belong. Um, and so I guess that's kind of uh, first and foremost what's different between, I guess, religious life and even diocesan priesthood. Is, of course, when you enter a diocesan seminary, your intention is to become a priest. You're a cleric. When, when, whenever you enter religious life, a lot of a lot of religious communities say you're not supposed to be discerning the priesthood right now in the novitiate. You're supposed to be discerning religious life and this community. Once you pass through the novitiate, then we'll start talking about whether or not you're called to be a priest. Uh-huh. Uh, so you, you first enter to be a brother. Um, actually, I think there's, there's some monasteries that even... Uh, they. They're the ones that tell you whether or not you're going to be a priest. There's hardly any discernment on your part. Uh, It's like, you're going to be a priest, you're just going to be a brother. Uh, Just. Uh, But, I mean, the essence of religious life is is to consecrate oneself and all of one's actions to God. Um, It's not necessarily uh, a sacramental ministry. Uh, But when one consecrates themselves, they, of course, set themselves apart. We know that definition. But it makes every single act that they do an act of religion. Uh, therefore, meriting also additional graces, not only for themselves but for for those uh, for the whole world. Especially, I mean, a lot of us offer our our sacrifice, daily sacrifices, for our benefactors who make this life possible mm-hmm. uh, for us. And so, it it merits graces for for families out in the world uh, to live their state in life.
0: So, I think that that's going to be a revolutionary way of looking at it. When you say that it's it's a lay started, lay led to which. Um, As you said, clerics can be drawn. There are lots of different orders out there. Maybe too many for us to name. (laughs) Could you give an overview just about some of the major orders so people can just get a sense of uh, kind of what what they're about and what their historical
1: charisms were? So I guess the the orders that were founded in the Middle Ages and before their charisms are really their, their rule of life. So almost for every, every religious community, you have a different rule of life. For the Order of St. Benedict, you had a rule of life for him. Uh, for the different Augustinian monasteries, because they were own, their own little groups, um, they had their rule of life, and they had their, their apostolic ministry or whatever. Um, but once we get to the Middle Ages, then we, we see things popping up like the Cistercians, which really just wanted to, to live the Order of St. Benedict more faithfully. Um, a, a stricter lifestyle, str- stricter penance. And so that's what kind of differentiated them, the Cistercians, from... Uh, the Order of Saint Benedict, although they follow the same rule, they're part of the Benedictine family. Mm-hmm. When we get to the Middle Ages, uh, we see the the rise of the Order of the Friars Minor and, and the Order of Preachers. Um, the Order of Friars Minor, Saint Francis, he wrote his own rule. He wanted to live a very penitential lifestyle as well, but also do apostolic ministry. So the existing orders, the Cistercians, the, the Benedictines, they didn't they didn't fit for him. Um, and so he had a different apostolic idea to go out and preach.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, walking out barefoot, all that kind of stuff, uh, not owning common property as the other uh, monasteries did, they owned common property. Uh, the order of preachers, uh, Saint Dominic was actually an Augustinian canon, but then took the rule of Saint Augustine, but then ad- added a particular mission to it, which was to go out and preach against the Albigensian heresy. Uh, so he took a rule that was already in existence, uh, which is actually something that so many people have done. The rule of Saint Augustine is the most widely used rule in, in the church today. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's so malleable, You can it, it's a rule of life, it, it, it provides a framework uh, for for the in-house rules, the monastery, all that kind of stuff. But then you can also put a particular mission on top of that as well. Like the Mercedarians also use the the rule of St. Augustine. The Augustinians use the rule of St. Augustine. Uh, There's so many different communities that use as a base, as a foundation the rule of St. Augustine.
0: If you're a young man who is drawn to the patrimony and tradition of the church now, and you're in the sound of our voice, so probably North America or um, English-speaking world, Australia, and Ireland, Um, what are your options in terms of joining a religious life that holds fast to the tradition and rejects the uh, novelties of
1: of the council? So uh, options are very limited uh, in two different ways. One is the majority of these orders that are in existence that still have the traditional Latin mass and hold fast to tradition, most of them are only allowed to be contemplatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, what comes to mind? I know there's a Benedictine monastery in Australia. There's Clear Creek Abbey uh, in Oklahoma, United States. They use the traditional Latin mass. There's Silverstream um, in Ireland, basically one per country in different parts of the world. But also the uh, the Fraternity of the Most Holy Redeemer. Um, I know they're, they're in Scotland. They have their own little island. Mm-hmm. Um, Papa Stronzi. Exactly. They, they they were founded. I mean the. the Alfonso Lagoire founded a missionary in order to go out and do missions, uh, but this this monastery is very, very contemplative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if you have a contemplative vocation, you have more options. Uh, if you don't have a contemplative vocation, you're in a bit, a bit of trouble, uh, like myself, <laughs> um, because there's not really a, a Franciscan community, an Augustinian community, uh, a Dominican community um, that has been thus far allowed to to, to use tradition. The, the Franciscans of the Immaculate. Tried, uh, they ran into a lot of trouble. I know some other communities that have been suppressed, uh, some have not been allowed to ordain priests. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if you have a more apostolic uh, vocation, it's either uh, the Fraternity of St. Peter or the Institute of Christ the King, which is Basically, being a parish priest, so there's there's nothing in the middle.
0: And it would be it would be inappropriate to describe either the Institute of Christ the King Sovereign Priest or the Fraternity of Saint Peter or the Society of Saint Pius the Tenth. Those would not be accurately described as orders. No,
1: uh, for they're... two for two different ways. Like I mean, the, the main way is is that they're not religious life per se. Mm-hmm. They're they're societies of apostolic life. They don't. Take vows of poverty, chastity and obedience in the in the religious life sense and at the evangelical councils now their their constitution uh, might require them to have, you know, have little spending money, of course you know uh, celibacy, um, and then of course being obedient to your superior, but it's not a consecration as I was speaking about earlier in the religious sense where um it, it, it's it's leaving everything and, and following christ it's it's more about the the ministry the sacramental ministry of the priesthood
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And can you talk a little bit about um, just sort of individual men becoming brothers by just living the rule, taking the habit? Um, you know, there's there are a couple examples of that even today. There's one you were telling me about in Assisi. There's a man who just wears the habit and and lives the the rule according to St. Francis. There's mm-hmm. Um, There's another uh, Franciscan brother uh, that we both know in Rome, and uh, he he's a prolific uh, writer and uh, tweeter. Um, But but what about that? Can you help us? Can you help us understand why that's okay and has always been that way
1: in church history? Yeah, I mean, like I was explaining earlier, how uh, religious life is a lay movement to which clergy may belong. When Christ said, uh, go to the rich young man, go, so all you have and give to the poor, uh, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. uh, He didn't put any other stipulation on it than than just that. The the essence, the purpose, um, is to lay down your life for Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there really isn't, um, like brother, for instance, it's not a a canonical term. It's not like priestly ordination where you're, you're given an office. Brother isn't an office. It's simply something, I mean, it's a religious term, you know, my brother in Christ, uh, that you call someone who has dedicated their heart and their life uh, to preaching the gospel, not only in word, but also by deed, by renouncing their possessions, um, by also living you know, a, a chaste and celibate life, uh, and being obedient to a constitution or a rule of life that uh, sets, your, sets your standards.
0: Okay, so, so I, theoretically, I could become a brother. Well,
1: you're married, Mike. Okay, so I can't. <laughs> um, I, I guess the, theoretically, I guess you're right because it's not really reduced. Uh, the, the term is not a canonical term, like you. But have, you,
0: you, haven't received the title of brother from a priest or a bishop. There was not. Was was there any some some rites that you went through or many
1: in, in my previous religi- uh, religious communities, I have. Okay. Uh, I've been in two different religious communities. So okay. I, I have. I've done my canonical year. Um, actually, if if uh, just a random layperson wanted wanted to start a religious community, the bishop would first require them to enter another religious community just for the novitiate, and once he he fulfilled the novitiate, then he can start his community.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, me, I've already had that canonical year, so I don't need to to go visit another community. Um, but but as far as taking the title, it's like yeah, there's there, there's no there's no canon that says do this 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 this, and officially you there, were, there were, you have to uh, yeah be conferred the title of brother. It's just actually, in the novices, when you start uh, being called brother, before you have vows, before you actually belong to the the religious community, Uh uh, before they take responsibility for you, a lot of them, the the novices, their families, still have to support them financially. There have been people out there who are confused about
0: uh, your situation, Mm -hmm. uh, because they seem to believe, and this is even even ordained priests that are Mm -hmm. out there, who don't understand that you as a brother, uh, you you
1: don't really need the permission of some local ordinary to be a brother. Of course not. Can you explain that? Sure. Actually, I'll use the example of the first community that I entered. Um, I entered a community called the Apostles of the Interior Life, which are a a public association of the faithful in the Mm -hmm. Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas. Um, When I entered them, it was 2012. However, I had met them in 2011. Um, They were there were five brothers, recently ordained. Uh, they actually started living together and studying in 2007. Started going by the name the Apostles of the Interior Life, studying at the Pontifical Lateran University in Rome. Um, and from 2007 to 2012, uh, they lived together, going by this name.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: However, in 2010, uh, four out of the five were ordained priests, um, or four out of the five were ordained deacons. And the following year, the four were ordained priest, and then the other one, deacon, Then, in 2012, the last, the deacon was ordained priest. Uh, but it was only after they were ordained uh, that the bishop, who had been calling them the apostles of the interior life, um, since he, he, he had met them, uh, actually erected them, gave them canonical status uh, as, as a community. Uh, so in terms of, of me and my communities, this is the natural burning process of, of communities, where one just starts living the life. Uh, because when I go to a bishop, and when someone goes to a bishop, they have to prove certain things. One is viability, two is that the church, they have a unique charism, and a community like this doesn't exist already. Um, so the second one is, is very easy, it's, just, it's paperwork, you, you write your charism, you write your rule of life, your constitutions, all that kind of stuff, paperwork done.
2: Mm-hmm. But the
1: other is, is viability, and this is something that the bishops pay attention to. How many members do you have? How many benefactors do you have? Because the bishop is not going to support you financially.
0: Right. Um, so you can't just start an order uh, thinking that your diocese is going to kick some cash into it and, and get you uh,
1: a monastery, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then what benefactors what, what are going to give you large chunks of money to get a monastery if you can't write a tax receipt? Mm-hmm. And so one of the first things you have to do is found a nonprofit organization, a legal nonprofit organization, to then be able to provide your benefactors um, with these tax receipts. And so, of course, with that, you need an address and all this other kind of stuff, and you know a lawyer to help you do all the paperwork and all that kind of stuff so that that 's kind of the first step is to found a non nonprofit start living the life um, and you go from there
0: now the the levels of of an order it starts out as a association of the faithful or does it st- or there's or is there a
1: level that 's beneath that so i guess there's there's two of the same level one is private for those that are non priests private public private association of the christian faithful Uh the second is public association of the christian faithful now the only the only reason you ask for these things is or for these status is to gain the protection and primarily i mean the bishop just wants to look at your finances but the problem is if you have no finances what is it to look at you know um, (laughs) (laughs) so so, i mean you get to that level once you once you need the protection of the law and the church needs to start regulating um, uh you know your way of life all that kind of stuff um, your finances um, we're getting some questions
0: uh, we're getting some questions in the chat uh, Linnea well sorry Linnea I'm a one man show here I'm controlling the show and reading your comments at the same time so deal with it <laughs>
2: um,
0: let's see Eli there's some discussion about the Jesuits you you, you mentioned the Franciscans yeah. you mentioned uh, the Dominicans you mentioned the Benedictines Uh, what about what about the Jesuits
1: Um, well what about them (laughs) Um, they're they're unique in the sense that they they arose around the time of the medieval orders Uh in the 15th century uh, well they combat Protestantism yeah Um, but they were unique in the sense that they don't they don't have any common prayer they don't have any common life and that's what kind of sets them apart from the Benedictines uh, the Franciscans the, the Dominicans that they all get together and pray the divine office together in choir yeah, but actually, for the Jesuits, they don't do that because it would affect their apostolic mission. Um, of course, Saint Francis Xavier, you know, went out to Japan, and all that kind of stuff, and did his work solo, um, which is kind of—it's the freedom that their constitution allows their their members to, to do. Um, and so, in one sense, they were—I say—they they were, I, I say they, they were, the, were the first idea of a society of apostolic life, even though that at that time the society of apostolic life didn't exist. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's 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 some differences there in terms of uh, what the common life looks like, what the fraternal life looks like, in the Jesuits that didn't exist with any other community during that time.
0: I want to go back to just the idea of the, the stages of progression and maybe talk about uh, the Oblates for a minute. So it's, uh, I thought I had read recently that now even bishops don't have the, authority to invest a new order like your order that everything has to go through rome now as a result of a moda proprio written by pope francis does that apply to you
1: yes um in this sense there's there's a big difference um between a public association of the faithful and a religious institute of diocesan right, which is what you have to have the Pope's permission to become a religious institute of diocesan right. Okay. The big difference is that a public association of the faithful can be suppressed immediately without any explanation by the local bishop. Done. There's no there's no possibility of defense. With a diocesan right, you, you, there's, there's a way to defend yourself canonically. And so... So was, you would
0: have no reason... So if you started in, let's say, um, just random diocese, Fort Worth, Texas, let's say... Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bishop, I think it's Olson there, he could just shut you down without
1: telling you why, and you would have no recourse to anyone. This has happened to, to, to a religious community that I know of uh, up in Detroit. And literally, they walked in. They were, the bishop said they had a meeting with each other. Okay, they walk in, all that kind of stuff, wondering what the bishop's going to talk about. Yeah. They, they walk out suppressed. Just point blank. No, no, no reason whatsoever.
0: And can they go set up shop in another diocese? Okay, so they have to leave the, but they have to leave the region.
1: Yeah in the meantime, they have to find another bishop who will take them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the meantime, survive. and what?
0: And once you're suppressed by one bishop, it's kind of hard to go to another one because mm-hmm. then they're going to say, well, what happened in Detroit, I mean, right? Exactly. And then they're going to call Detroit and say, what happened to these guys? Exactly. Interesting. So so it's even more difficult to found a community or an order
1: uh, in 2020 than in 2019. Absolutely, because, I mean, the church doesn't want the traditional Latin mass, and so... Uh, when you start an order that that has it, well, that's what happened to my last community that was suppressed. Is mm-hmm. you know, I entered the bishop saw that uh, I had a devotion to the Church Latin Mass, that another priest in the community had a devotion to it, that he that we might attract more members, and said, so, you know what, I just don't want you guys in my diocese. Yeah. just for, for that reason alone.
0: Yeah, and uh, that and and you have no recourse. Okay, so getting a couple other uh, lines of questions in the chat. And if you have questions, please leave them in there because I'm trying to read them and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and funnel them over to brother. Uh, but some people are asking in terms of finding your vocation, brother. Mm-hmm. Um, what, is, what, is, what is ideal? Some young men will come out of a relationship, realize I'm not called to the married life, and then default to the religious life. Other young men will say, I need to try religious life first before I explore the possibility of, um, of the married life. What do you think about either one of those, and, and is there a third option that's even better?
1: Sure. So first of all, you're really not going to take to religious life if you're not spiritual. Personally, ready for it. If you don't have the, the self-discipline, all that kind of stuff. If you're, uh, I guess, addicted to Netflix, all that kind of stuff, and you're a, uh, a seminary or religious community, where you're not allowed to watch Netflix, you're going to feel a lot of stress, interior mm-hmm. stress. You know, you have to have a certain level of detachment from, uh, from worldly things, in order to be able to discern properly your vocation. So this is kind of what I was saying at the very beginning, is that our vocation first and foremost is to become a saint, and so we need to grow in virtue uh, first.
0: So that age can vary with different people. Then
1: exactly, because
0: so, you're saying that some young men could be mature enough at the age of 18, let's say, to know for sure that they have a vocation to the religious life and enter. Exactly. Whereas others need more time to grow up.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So
0: there's not there's not like a defined fixed age. Just it's, uh-huh. it's more it's it's dependent on the individual. Absolutely. Interesting. But what about what about the girlfriend thing? <laughs>
1: So I had a girlfriend before I had to really just like... Okay. Uh, Is she watching right now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but uh, my my own experience was, it, I mean, I started dating her and had my reversion. I just, mm-hmm. you know, discovered the faith at the same time. Mm-hmm. As I grew in virtue, I became more and more unsettled uh, because, I mean, we spent several months apart or weeks, months, all that kind of stuff because we were in college. You know, she'd go home on her visit, all that kind of stuff, and... When she was around I, what i used time for to pray to the the liturgy of the hours, the divine office to go to mass more all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and i found an, an incredible amount of peace there so much so that i mean i was thinking about this relationship being honest with her all that kind of stuff and i realized that i couldn't be honest with myself i couldn't be honest with her if i first didn't answer this question because this question of religious life just couldn't go away okay uh, so i told her i needed to take some time off um to discern this particular question and the more time I, I realized that you know, I wasn't seeing her and that I was finding peace and going to Mass and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I asked myself, do I want to live a life that I can't go to Mass every single day? Uh, and it was for me that I said, no, not, not if I can help it. Uh, but then also I asked myself, again, the reasons. Why would I choose marriage over religious life? Marriage, you have to make all these sacrifices for your wife and your children. Religious yeah. life, you have to also make all these sacrifices. So they were pretty much equal in almost every respect in terms of self-sacrifice. Except the deal breaker for me is I realized that I would choose marriage... Uh, to gain some sort of immediate gratification from the joys of life, whereas I wouldn't choose religious life for that aspect, and so there was a comp- more for me personally something that you know this was not for me at all. Uh, it was for for love of God and for love of neighbor uh, that I would be choosing this way of life. Whereas the deal breaker to choose marriage would be would be Brother Martin, would be me. Uh, and I said, well, let's try this first.
0: How, how did you he- how did you hear your vocation or discern uh, in terms of like? Did, did you ever, did you have a mystical experience? Did, did Almighty God send you a dream? Or is this just, this is just, you could hear his voice gnawing at you like, hey, this is not for for me when you were dating the young lady who's yeah. hopefully not watching. <laughs> um, and, and how do other young men
1: discern for sure, hey, this is for me? Yeah, it's the same way, I guess, we discern whether or not uh, your, your spouse is going to be for you in the sense that, there really was no for me there was no you know, moment where i said this is for me i answered to answer a question i didn't have an an, uh, an answer to my question yet when mm-hmm. an i answered religious like i answered precisely to have a question answered and i told myself uh, that i would give it one full year because i know emotions go up and down up and down constantly you're one day you're all in you know for this the next day you're, you're so stressed out you want to leave the next day you're in for this so so let's give it a year uh, for sure um and throughout that year, I said, well, why, why does one become celibate? Is it, do, do you not get married in order to teach catechism? Like, no, but there's, there's married catechists. You know, do you not get married to teach uh, theology or, or to do ministry? Well, like, no, there's, there's married people that do all these things. So mm-hmm. uh, why, why be celibate? For me, the answer was pure, pure love. You, know, you give your life and your body over to someone who you're madly in love with. Mm-hmm. For me, that person was Jesus Christ. Um, and so that's what celibacy really means for me. Um, it's simply, it's an expression of my love for, for our Lord. And, and that's it. So, uh, like I said, there, w- there was really no one moment where I could say, this is, this is when I decided I would enter, or this is what I decided with my vocation. Every, every day, like in marriage, every day you persevere. Every day you wake up and say, yes, I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. With our baptism, every day you wake up and say, yes. Uh, and, and same way with our vocation, there, there was really no one day when, when God made it known. In one sense, uh, it was a movement, I mean, as grace works and with our free will, uh, it was a movement of grace in my heart that made me want to love God in this particular way.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the Oblates. So you've, you're have you founding a brand new order, um, and you are using the Augustinian rule. Yep. And um, as of right now, you're in Florida, but in the future, we don't know where you'll be.
1: Yeah, so the circumstances in which I left my uh, other community, I had literally nothing. No money in my pocket, mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. And so I, I accepted the charity of a good friend of mine who would put me in a place for one to three years, no rent, all utilities paid. Mm-hmm. So I took it. As I was explaining before, um, I needed to found a non-profit in order to be able to f- provide tax receipts for those who would, would uh, uh, donate to me. And so that's what I did. Um, in terms of being, in all, Yeah. This was the place that my friend had, <laughs> so this is where I came. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't. Choose, I could go anywhere. It depends on the bishop who would be willing to accept me. So,
0: so you're you're in you're here in Florida right now, and I'm very honored to be visiting you. Thank and you. And me. I'm I'm using uh, one of the Brother Chewy mugs as well for for our m- late morning coffee. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> or actually, it feels like late morning to me, uh, <laughs> but it's actually the afternoon. Is it? Oh, it is. So my question, I guess, is. To be a founder of a religious community, uh, I mean, it sounds like you have to be one part superhero because you have to be incredibly stable, incredibly disciplined to maintain the rule all by yourself at this point. Secondly, you have to be very charismatic and able to fundraise so that you can get it off the ground. Thirdly, you have to be an exceptional judge of character. As young men want to come and join you, you have to know how to weed out the bad ones, yep. especially the ones with the uh with the shall we say hidden, uh, uh, hidden deformations yeah. <laughs> and uh and deviations. And then um and then you have to be organizationally adept as well. You have to do all this paperwork, you have to establish this nonprofit, you have to write tax letters, you have to be organized and do the accounting. Um that's asking a lot, right? Thanks, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot on your shoulders. How do you have time for interviews?
1: Uh, to, to be honest, well, yeah, I make the time. but God, God provides the time, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, for me, my, my own personal background, I have a degree in organizational leadership. So in some sense, I have uh, I've taken classes in accounting, all that kind of stuff, business classes. So that helps on, on the more practical side of things. So it's, they don't really teach you that kind of stuff in seminary. Uh-huh. Uh, in terms of judgment of character, I mean, I've been in a religious life uh, eight years now in um, two communities where, I mean, new communities, there's usually one bad apple in, in, in these communities. And uh, in both of those communities, I've, I've learned a lot in how to see, how to read, um, the, the predict these bad apples. How, why, why do communities fail?
0: Is it, is it because of bad apples? Uh,
1: pride. Um, usually, there's, usually there's one guy, and also depends on, on, on the hierarchy or whatever involved mm-hmm. as well, but usually there's one guy who wants things his way. He's convinced because he prays so much that God is telling him that it should be this way, and he needs to have you know make everybody agree with him. He can't make everybody agree with him, and things happen organically. And so he, he appeals to the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes to the local bishop, or he goes to the you know uh, whatever the pope's superior, whatever, uh, and tries to force it by rule downward hierarchically. How do you think the Oblates can survive in
0: 2020 in light of the motu proprio? And, you know, are you at some point going to have to get the endorsement of some bishop in the United States?
1: And once, I, I don't know if, 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 obviously, one wants the endorsement of a bishop, one wants a canonical status, all this kind of stuff. But there have been communities that have bounced from bishop to bishop to bishop to bishop to bishop. And all, all the in-betweens, uh, mm-hmm. they've not had canonical status. Um, And so when a community is is so young, you just get a a bunch of guys together who want to pray, who want to live this life, and you just persevere together. Um, And so in one sense, it's a testimony to to the will of God, how how a group of young men can band together and uh, keep their prayer life, keep their religious life. um, While all this uh, administrative work, you know, it doesn't always work your way uh, for one reason or another.
0: I got got to witness you guys uh, praying the office this morning um, and chanting it. This is, so, this is essentially the heart of what you seek to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's to give glory to God in the liturgy of the office.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But Why is that so controversial?
1: I don't, I don't know. And in my previous two communities, that was precisely what was controversial, is that I, I, did the, I used the, the traditional divine office, the 1962 office, mm-hmm. privately in my room. And it was this that got me in trouble with my superiors. When, well, they, when they found the books, they were like, This can't happen here. Um, I don't know why we pray. We we give our lives to our Lord. Um, Hopefully, our chants are pleading to Him. Um, I don't have a singing voice, but it is what it is. Um, But this is ultimately what we want to do, is just pray and and offer our lives. And and Yeah, I don't understand why it's so controversial to some people. I
0: mean, mean, married people, and this is a good point in the chat, married people can pray the office at home every day. They can pray it as a couple, as a family, they can pray it as an individual in their houses, and the bishop cannot tell you not to. The bishop cannot reach down into Mr. RTF's house here uh, and, tell, and tell Mike and Mrs. RTF, you can't pray the divine office in your house. Right. But for you, when you were in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, the archbishop could reach all the way down and touch you and say, you cannot pray that. In your room, right? I mean,
1: it wasn't so much that he said, you know, took out the book from my hand, but he said, you can't do it here. And so he's like, I, not in my it,
0: archdiocese.
1: Exactly. So I don't
0: want, ch- I don't want you chanting the Divine Office in my archdiocese. Why, i I'm still, I go back to the question:
1: Why is that controversial? It, it's a mystery to me. This is well like, it's, to me, it's beautiful. It's what inspires me to live my vocation. I don't know why anybody would want to take it away from me. Because this is the heart of what you seek to do. Exactly. And this is, I mean, this is the heart of, of the Christian life: It's to sing God's praises. Uh, you know, and, and imitate our Lord and, and reciting the Psalms. I don't know. You're reciting the
0: Psalms in chant in your chapel, and this is and and you have to bounce around the country and find someone who will who will help, and you have to find benefactors, and you have to pray that you can find a a bishop who will take you in, just so that you can sit in a chapel and pray the Psalms.
1: Exactly. I mean, I I, I think sometimes in the mornings, like, how, how how is this sinful? What am I doing wrong? Yeah. You know, for people to attack me or whatever else it's like i'm just sitting here praying these prayers that like the church has given us to pray i've given up everything i gave it my girlfriend you know when i entered religious life I gave up my job my career i was a professional guitar player in nashville before i entered religious life uh, i gave up everything I, you know i'm here poor i don't have even a water heater here to take warm showers you know it's like how are people you know whatever <laughs> I ain't going around right, but right right how how is how is how is this wrong how is this sinful? why doesn't anybody accept this you know
0: okay uh d- a, f- a few more questions just about the Oblates. Okay. So your plan for the Oblates is to grow to how many people?
1: It's a good question. Right now, uh, today, I'm more concerned about uh, at least five guys that are solid, no bad apples, mm-hmm. well, well-formed, traditional, hearts of gold, want, want to give their lives to Christ. Five solid guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, each house of the Oblates, I can see having 10 to 12 men before starting a new house. One thing that's great about the the rule of St. Augustine is it's very malleable in terms of apostolates, um, and so one one this is the way it was for the Order of St. Augustine as well. Each monastery had its own thing. Uh, some were very strong contemplatives, had farms, uh, raised cattle, raised sheep, um, had barrels of hay, all that kind of stuff. Uh, others were in the city, taught at schools, taught at universities, all that kind of stuff. So it's very malleable. So. I'm open to this community becoming as as, as God wants it to be, mm-hmm. um, but for me, I think I, I really my, my main goal is to see five solid guys here praying in the Divine Office with me and, and trying to become saints with me.
0: Now, clearly, you'll need at least one priest in each house so yeah. that you can have daily mass, and you and you presently have that. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your plan in the future?
1: If we don't have a priest, honestly, we could just go to the local parish um, if we need to. If a bishop uh, accepts us and wants to ordain us, then fine. Uh, We'll go that route as well. But, I mean, I'm not concerned about being deprived of the sacraments in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And what's your message to uh, twofold? I I want you to speak first to potential donors and benefactors. mm -hmm. Explain to them why uh, they're—first of all, we have a duty— lay people to tithe to the church. They have a duty to support the needs of Holy Mother Church. It's one of the six precepts of the church. I personally cannot bring myself to support my local bishop or Peter's Pence or any of the garbage that gets ruined by these people. So I find other ways to support the needs of Holy Mother Church. This could be a great way to do that. Uh, So can you direct people to your website, how to give to you, why they would want to give to you, and um, and just sort of fill in anything else that I should have asked about the vision of that. And then and then after that, we'll we'll speak directly to the young men who are watching, who want to join your community, and what they should be thinking
1: about. Sure. So first, I, the be to St. Augustine. Why was it not? Why was it founded? In this in this time of theological and moral crisis in the church. Theological. I mean, we've got uh, people promoting homo- homosexuality in the church. You know, saying the gay unions are all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's theologically, morally, I mean, all the, all the sex scandals, cover ups, all that kind of stuff. What, what is a young man like myself with a vocation? What am I supposed to respond to? How am I supposed to respond? The way I've chosen to respond is to start a, a monastery where a young men can join, uh, learn uh, the tra- traditional theology and traditional Catholic faith,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and, and try, to, try to become saints. Pray, um, the divine office together, daily meditation, uh, two half hours a day, uh, and uh, uh, the office of Suratna, which is an Augustinian office. So really dedicate their lives to prayer. And then uh, if they have time for, for apostolic ministry to do that too, to share their faith with others. Um, so that's why uh, the Oblates of St. Augustine um, was founded. In terms of, uh, of benefactors, oh, our website is oblatesofstaugustine.com St. Louis, dot O-B-L-A-T-S-O-F-S-T, A-U-G-U-S-T-I-N-E.com. There right at the very front page is a PayPal to donate. Um, or you can use the contact form to to ask me what our address is. Is that tax deductible? It is tax deductible. Okay,
0: and I'll I'll link to that in the show notes as well.
1: Oldbladesofsanagustin.com. Yeah. So, uh, as far as young men, um, I'm on Twitter. You can contact me through the contact form that goes right to my email, uh, and just a- ask me questions. I mean, e- even if, if you're just discerning religious life in general, I'd love to ask you answer your questions. We you can set up a Zoom meeting, uh, Skype, whatever you have, uh, to just talk things out and talk things through because I know. For me, itself, it was, it was a year-long process, and it helped to have other people with experience to, to help me discern. Um, so I'd be more than willing to do that, even if you don't choose a place of San Diego. Okay.
0: Now, you're, you're in touch with a whole number of young men around the country and
1: even around the world who are asking questions of you. How do yeah. you find time for all that? God makes time. He's, he's the Lord and master of time. Uh, I just do it, and I also having my work here. I, I study philosophy as well. Uh, I don't know grace, I guess,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but there's, there's time for everything that's necessary.
0: And y- young men who would, would consider joining you can either save up some money before they come uh, because, you know, this is, yeah, this is not a luxury resort in Florida no, that we're staying it's not. at, um, but uh, so they can either bring some money with them or they can, even better yet, bring some benefactors along with them as well.
1: Absolutely. Um, so you can save up as much money as you can because you have to support yourself. I and mean, we have a uh, money to support you for at least a, a year, mm-hmm. so you can save up your uh, as much money as you can, sell your car, whatever. Um, but then also, I mean, I'm sure you have family and friends and other people at your parishes that would be more than willing to support a vocation. Um, so you can talk to them, have meetings with them, tell them what you're trying to do, introduce them to the Oblates of St. Augustine. I'd be willing to talk to some potential benefactors for you, and we can get people to, to donate specifically to you to help you help you along your way mm-hmm. uh, in, your, in your vocational discernment.
0: Um, I think what we'll do is we'll just see if there are any other questions uh, on the live stream. Uh, the, the the comments have continued to scroll, and I've lost track of a lot of them. Um, but some of these folks here do have questions. White Chocolate Bear, I definitely want you to get in touch with Brother. Uh, I think this is something that you should consider. Uh, and I just say that because we're in touch with each other, and you should talk to Brother. Um, there are some folks here who are wondering about how to support Brother Martin and your community. So I'll link to that uh, at the conclusion of this in the show notes. But uh, what was the website again? dot com. So you can go there. It is tax-deductible. Um, Philip James asks, <clears throat> Brother, for those considering vocations, it's obviously important to maintain good... Oh, it's scrolling. Sorry. This is what happens when you try to run everything. I feel like this was going to be a good good question, too. It's obviously important to maintain good and healthy spiritual habits. What would you say helps to move the soul in that this direction of good and healthy
1: spiritual habits? Grace. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we can do no good except uh, the, the good that God moves us to do. Uh, every, every, every work always begins with Him. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I don't know why I am where I am from the beginning. I mean, the life I lived beforehand... Uh, you know, I, I just had a reversion, mm-hmm. um, but I think for me, it was it was the most important question is, if God exists, it's the most most important thing, if he doesn't, it's the, it's the least important thing. Mm-hmm. And so, the, the, the search for truth that I had, ultimately, led me, one, to natural theology, all that kind of stuff, I discovered C.S. Lewis, uh, but I don't know, it, it really is a movement of grace.
2: hmm
0: Um, You've got some people asking some questions that were already answered in the video, so I would encourage you to go back and watch it. But some of those answers that we've already covered are whether or not there will be uh, priests within the community and whether or not that's necessary. Um, uh, Somebody's asking how old you are. 29. Uh, 29 years old. Okay, so you're almost the perfect age, almost (laughs) 33, uh, coming up on it. Um, uh, Let's see, what else do we have here on the yeah, is the community planning to have men ordained to the priesthood? You can go back Emmanuel and, and check that answer. And um
1: I think that's it. So
0: I I appreciate your time, brother. Thank Martin. you, Mike.
1: Thanks for coming all the way down here to Florida.
0: Yep, yep, yep. this will not be the only uh time that you hear from us. I I I think yeah. the two of us while I'm here. And uh thanks for bearing with us on the on the A V and uh and Quality issues with the pipe, uh, the the internet pipe, but um, we're doing what we can. So uh, questions answered. We're going to sign off here. Pray for Brother Martin and check out the website. Give, give, give if you can, and uh, take that tax free donation. We're coming up on the end of the year, and a lot of people like to give big Christmas gifts at the end of the year. You want your 2020 taxes to reflect your uh, your charitable giving, so consider giving to... Uh... Oh, okay, fine. Quick unpopular opinion. The director <laughs> is asking for a quick unpopular opinion. Do you want to give a quick unpopular opinion? I, I have to think of one. I wasn't ready yet. You weren't ready? <laughs> um, let's opinion. see. Quick unpopular opinion. Uh, well, we're having Thanksgiving together. Yes. So my unpopular opinion, and I don't think that this is terribly unpopular, is that I don't give a hoot what any of these state-level or, or county-level people are telling us that we can can or can't do for Thanksgiving. We're going to have more than 10 people, if possible, and, uh, and we're gonna, we might even live stream it. <laughs> we might even live stream Thanksgiving here. From Florida, in the underground bunker where Brother is currently holed up. This is not, like I said, this is not a, uh, a resort community. He takes cold showers, this man does. I think he sleeps on the floor, too. <laughs> get, can we get this man a bed? Can you please donate to the Oblates of St. Augustine? Uh, but no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not listening to secular authorities when it comes to uh, how to celebrate Thanksgiving. And uh, when it comes to ecclesiastical authorities, I'm not going to listen to them, too, when they tell you you can't pray the office and chant it in Latin. If, you, if, if that's your position, Your Excellency,
1: I'm sorry. I'm out. I'm, I'm
0: subscribed from you. Did I steal your unpopular
1: opinion? You no, know, but I was thinking along you know, Thanksgiving all that kind of stuff. And I think my yeah. unpopular opinion is that pizza is a perfectly acceptable thing.
0: No! For no, you did. You tweeted that. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Somebody asked on Twitter, what is, Brother Martin, what is your favorite Thanksgiving site? And the guy says, pizza. <laughs> it's
1: delicious. And most oh
0: my gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Alright. Well, uh I think I think that's I think that's pretty unpopular. Yeah. yeah we'll we'll put up a poll. Who's whose opinion was more unpopular? Mike's about not listening to uh, to bishops who tell you you can't pray in Latin? Or brother Martin's that he likes pizza. Pizza with Thanksgiving. God bless you guys. Thanks for watching. Take care.
2: And
1: it got really hot in here. <laughs>